Remember this? You will never be who God created you to be until you learn to be more like Jesus. We talk about the fact that you were created in the image of God and, and what God is doing in Christ with you is making you back to that person that you should be, that you were created to be. And you'll, you'll just never, you're going to miss out on what God created you to be until you learn to be more like who Jesus is, that loving sacrifice. But now we're going to talk about holiness. It's kind of a, it was a tough mental leap for me as I was looking at where we were, talking about this loving sacrifice and the very next phrase that, that Paul jumps into. But, but let's go back to the beginning of Ephesians for a moment. Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, let me skip ahead here. I, oh, here was the title slide. This is uh, the title of today's, today's message. Uh, but uh, Ephesians chapter 1 says this in verse 3. Uh, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now think about that. God has chosen you to be holy and blameless. And this is a literal calling to be these things. Or how about in First Peter? In First Peter we can read this. But as He who called you is holy, right? That person who called you into this holiness, that chose you into this. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. As it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, this goes right along with what we're talking about, isn't it? Being like God and being an imitator of God. And God says, or or Peter says, as God is holy, you need to be holy in all of your conduct. Now, let me remind you real quick, holiness. The word holy literally means to be set apart, right? To be set apart for God's uses. But with that set apartness comes this this concept and, and how the word is always used in Scripture is this idea of being clean and pure. Righteousness is connected with this idea of holy. It's just what we think about when we think about what does it mean to be holy. But there's a set apart aspect in this holiness. And Peter says, just as God is holy, you need to be holy. You need to be holy in all that you do and all of your conduct. Or how about this one here? In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, it says this. And I like the first part of this. I'm going to include this one here. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be out of joint, but rather be healed. But then he says this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And what's interesting about this is that uh, the writer of Hebrews is not talking about some internal version of holiness. He's talking about your, how you're living, isn't he? Striving for peace with everyone and for the holiness. Without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. I mean, there's a real understanding with these, just these three passages that you're called to be holy, that God has called you and chosen you to be a holy person. That, that we are to be holy the way God is holy, but then also that... that Without this holiness, nobody's going to see the Lord. This can't be chalked up to just some kind of internal version of this. But I'm going to be honest with you. Every time I come across a passage in Scripture of holiness or being holy, 
You know what I want to run to right away? I want to run to, I want to run to Jesus real quick. I mean, he's the hero of my, my story when it comes to holiness, isn't it? I mean, I want to run over here to Jesus and say, I am so glad that when we read about holiness in the Bible, I'm so glad, Lord, that, that that's ultimately the holiness that I have, the righteousness that I have is in Jesus. Is it not? Is he the hero of our stories? What about you? I mean, is he the hero of your story? When you think about being holy, don't you really quick want to run to Jesus over here and say, I'm so glad. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. We're running to Jesus. But you know the problem with, with when I do this with these passages? These passages I just read, did they have, were they talking about internal holiness, that, that, that something that Christ has given us, or are they talking about something different? What do you think? Are you guys with me today? Are you following my, my train of thought? When I think about holiness, I usually want to go to Jesus because God, we are righteous. And isn't that not the gospel message? That, that you're going to stand before God and you're going to be righteous, not because of what you've done, but because of Jesus' righteousness. That's the gospel message. But the problem with that is that these passages, is that what they're talking about in these passages? When he says you've got holiness and you see the Lord, is that what he's talking about? You guys can shake your head yes or no. Are you stumped? I'll tell you right now. The problem is that these passages are not talking about something just internal that, that God has given us. When, when Peter said, Be holy in all of your conduct, he was literally mean. You yourself be a holy person. When, when the writer of Hebrews was saying, You need to be holy, without holiness nobody will see the Lord. He wasn't talking about the holiness that, that is given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's saying, you yourself need to be holy. It's essential. When, when Paul was talking about, we've been chosen to be holy and blameless, he was also talking about literally how you live. And this is a challenging problem. I want to run to those most quickly. The other problem that I face when I think about holiness is not just that I need it quickly just say, I'm glad that you don't have to be holy. These passages say this, though. The other problem I face is that it, it feels very uh, unattainable. When we think about being a holy person, you ever think about, I mean, really, truly being a holy person, you think, that is just out of my reach. I mean, not even just out of my reach, but like, you no, know, my, my greatest efforts at holiness, I come up short. Anybody feel that way? My greatest strivings of being, I mean, to be holy, that just seems like... God says, be holy as I'm holy. Doesn't it seem like he just took a, I mean, I just get this picture in my mind of, uh, you know, like, you know the hurdles? Have you ever seen those hurdles that you have to jump over, you run around the track and there's a big hurdle? All of a sudden, you're, you're jumping the little hurdles and then there's one at the very end that's like 50 feet tall. That's what I feel like when, it, when God says, be holy as I'm holy. I'm thinking, what? How? That's, that just feels like God just set up this insurmountable barrier. Like, how can I be that kind of holy? But yet he says it, doesn't he? Be holy as I'm holy. In, in, in Paul's day, there was a, a similar issue that was going on. And, and I want to share with you this belief system. And you've probably heard of this before. Has anybody ever heard of Gnosticism? Yeah? Now, now there's a lot of... The, the thing about Gnosticism is it didn't really have like one central... It's not like they had... This is... You know, you know, the central doctrinal statement of Gnosticism or anything. Was, you know, it was more of a, a thought that pervaded into other areas. And it's something that invaded or infiltrated Christianity. Okay? Gnosticism did. 
The, the word itself, uh, Gnosticism, comes from the Greek word for knowledge, which is kind of a confusing thing uh, when you start hearing what Gnosticism is, but it'll make sense in a minute. There's basically two specific uh, tenets, one kind of idea, but two, two branches of it. The first is this. Gnosticism, they believe that the spirit, like the immaterial that you can't touch, the spirit is all that's good. So, so what, when it, what, what can be good or like we may be talking about holy? The only thing that's good is, is the, the spirit, spiritual things, right? Uh, but it also says this, all matter, you know what I mean by matter? Hard stuff, you know, including your body, the flesh. All matter is flawed and evil. Okay, so the, the only things that can ever be good is the, the immaterial stuff and, and everything that's physical is, is evil, can you see the, some connections to Christianity in that already? Maybe, maybe you're actually sitting there going, that, I think that's kind of true. The, the body's evil, the spirit's good, something along those lines. Um, when it infiltrated early Christianity, what it usually looked like was this. If the matter or the body was evil and could never truly be holy, one of the biggest things that happened in Christianity when people started looking at it this way, then they looked at it and they said, well, then you can sin all you want. Can you see how someone could come up with that? Well, if the body is evil, and it can never be holy, can never be good, and it just matters what's on the inside of the spirit, then technically I can sin all I want. And Paul had to battle that continually. Um, you hear him battling it in Romans when he says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And see, even, even the gospel message, knowing that, that ultimately it's because of Christ's righteousness that we're going to stand before God, if you take the gospel message in the wrong way and you, you look at it in a selfish way, you could say, well, man, I could just keep sinning because ultimately it doesn't matter. I'm righteous because of Jesus, and so I can just keep on sinning. And, and, and Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No way. May God, you know, God forbid. May that never be. And so there's, there's this problem in that. We may even hear some of these basic ideas of Gnosticism showing up today. Uh, we don't call it that anymore. But I just wanted to see if you can hear this. Uh, and you can adjust these phrases how you want. First one I have down is, uh, well, in my head, I know, I know who God is. Or I believe, I believe that He exists. Yeah, you know, I know that. Uh, or, you know, how about this one? I'm a good person. In, in my soul, I have a good soul. I'm a good person. And, and people are saying it in, in connection with, I know maybe I'm not doing this, but... Or how about this one? I know you've heard this one. God understands we're human. You ever heard that one? Do you, do you see the Gnosticism in that? What, what is somebody saying when they're saying that? They're saying, you know, I know I'm doing the wrong thing, but God, God understands I'm a human. I'm flawed and full of sin and error. He knows that. I can't ever be righteous, really. So he understands. And so many, usually what happens when somebody say, is saying this, what are they doing? It's kind of an excuse to keep doing what they're doing, isn't it? I know I'm not quite where I should be, but I'm a human. God understands. He gets it. The problem with this is that the Bible still calls us to be holy in our physical bodies. I want you to hear what Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 says. Um, And before I read, I want to remind you one more time. Paul's talking about walking in love like dear children, you know, being like Jesus. He's, He's talking about these things, and then he immediately jumps from that into verse 3, which says this. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness 
must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I, I mentioned this once, so I've got to say it again. When I first read this, I thought, what is the connection here? And we're talking about walking in love, and then all of a sudden he's talking about sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. Where's that connection? But if you know who God is, you must go in this direction. And notice that word there at the end, saints. Now, the word saint in, in the Greek, the, the word that's translated saint is basically the same word that's translated holy. And that's why some versions may even say, instead of saying the word saint, they say holy people. You're a set-apart people. You're to be a holy people. You're to be a saint. Did you know that? Who here said, I didn't know that? Anybody not know that? Who, who knew that already? Who, that who knew that we're called to be saints? Some of you? Oh, now, who thought, wait, I thought the saints were just like specific people, like uh, St. Peter, St. Paul. That's not true. Saints are us. We're holy people. God calls us to be saints, to be those who are holy. And if you remember back at the beginning of Ephesians, what we're called, we're chosen to be people who are holy. And what Paul's doing now, he says, we're chosen to be people who are holy, and now we're starting to get there. Okay? Now, when morality or immorality comes up in the New Testament, and that this is, this is hugely important, the thing that I don't want you to miss is right here. Because it's easy when I start talking about sexual morality and purity, it's easy to go down this, this negative yeah, feel to it. I can, I can really get this negative preachy type of, oh yeah, this is bad. But you have to understand what Paul is saying here. Notice he said, it, it shouldn't even be named among them. We're listing off the characteristics of God's holy people. These are things that shouldn't be listed off. It's not proper, fitting. It doesn't, doesn't make sense that it should be joined up with, with God's holy people. And he's saying it just doesn't fit. It's just not fitting anymore. As holy people. If Ephesians chapter 2 is true, that you were once dead in your sin, but now you've been made alive in Jesus Christ, then there is essentially something that should be different about you. And so we're going to take that phrase from last week, we're going to adjust it a little bit for this week. And we're going to say this. You will never be who God created you to be until you learn to be who you are in Jesus. Who you are in Jesus. See, the thing is, if, if, you, if you look throughout the whole New Testament, and when immorality or morality comes up, when ethical issues come up, what's sin, what's right, you have to understand as a Christian, what's taught again and again and again is that this is not who you are anymore. It's not just this negative, like, oh, stay away from this, don't do this, and stop it. It's saying, no, no, no. This isn't who you are anymore in Jesus. And as you're a follower of God now, these are things that just... They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be there. They shouldn't be listed among you. You will never be who God created you to be until you learn to be who you are in Jesus. You are a saint. A person who is now holy. That righteousness that Jesus has given us is now going to begin to be fleshed out, you could say. Lived out. And we're to be literally 
people. And this is the key thought in the New Testament. But let's look at the things that Paul specifically mentions. Number one, he said sexual immorality. Uh, the Greek word here is the Greek word pornea. Uh, we get the word pornography from this word. Okay? Uh, sexual morality. This is a word that's used to describe, uh, you, if you just took a basket, all versions of sexual sin, put them all in one basket, it's all right there in this in this word. And Paul's saying, this shouldn't be named among you. See, I, don't, I don't have to go into the... We, we live in a, a society that's not that much different than Paul's. Sexual morality is was rampant in his world, just like it is in ours. Uh, in, in Paul's time, there were they they, they they had whole businesses and industries based on uh, based on sex, based on those things. Uh, there were there were religious aspects. Uh, there were temples that were built from the prostitution that was going on in the temples. They had temple prostitutes that were that was their profession and part of the worship. How much different are we in our society that this is not rampant here as well? Notice the second thing he says is all impurity. Once again, this is not you it's not rocket science to understand what Paul's talking about here. This word impurity, the word all means all sorts or all kinds. He's, he's offering up a big, just like when he says sexual morality, he uses the word that refers to all versions of this. There's all impurity, some of all branches of things that are dirty, impure, right? Not clean. Stuff that isn't clean. This is something that shouldn't be named among you. Right? Paul's world was just like ours in so many ways. And, and you can't look at our, the world that we're in not see that. I mean, turn on your TV. How often you see things that are immoral, sexual morality, or, or you're watching, or you're talking with people, or you're at work, and, and these kinds of things. Are, it's everywhere around us. It's all over the place. But notice the third thing that Paul says. The sexual morality, the impurity, but then notice the third thing he says that just doesn't fit. He says covetousness, or some versions say greed. I mean, looking, looking at what you don't have and wanting it. I mean, <laughs> doesn't greed infiltrate almost all of American society in some way, shape, or form? Right? Bigger. Better. Faster. Cooler. More. I want more. I want better house. Bigger house. Faster car. Better car. Something more reliable. I want it all. It's great. It's covetousness. Looking at what what's going on here. It can it can play out in sexual ways. You look at a person and say, I, I want that person. It's not mine. And looking out and saying, I want, I want, I want. Greed infiltrates all of our society that we're in. But then Paul tacks on three more things. Let's read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. He says, he says, those things are not proper among saints or God's holy people. Then he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Right? There's a, it's not fitting. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. And so he goes down this next little bit of a list. He says, he says filthiness. Once again, this is not some in deep... In, I mean, what's, what's dirty? What's filthy? There shouldn't be... And he's kind of leaning in the direction of what's coming out of your mouth. So whether or not you're actually participating in something, now he's saying even the discussion of it. No filthiness. Dirt, things that are dirty. Things that are perverted. Foolish talk. Empty. Uh, honestly, 90% of our humor anymore is based on just stuff that's ridiculous and empty, isn't it? 
empty, silly, ridiculous, this foolish talk, pointless or foolish words. And then the, the, the sixth thing he says here is, uh, I'm sorry, the fifth thing was foolish talk. But then the sixth thing he says is, is crude joking. I like, this word literally means, in, in many Greek writers, not in the Bible, but many other Greek writers actually use this description, this word that's translated crude joking. It's one word, and, and they usually use it in a positive sense. It, sometimes it's translated as pleasantries, talking with people. Um, it, it's, it's used of joking. It's used of that. It literally means a good turn, right? You can take something and flip it around and do something funny with it. I mean, that's why we translate it crude joking. Um, I'm a high school teacher. I'm going to tell you right now, 99% of what you say with the right kid in the right place, he can take almost anything you say and he can make it sound bad. Is that not true? I mean, in the world we live in, I mean, I, I was thinking uh, even this week uh, uh, a few shows that I've watched before that, that will even, one aspect of the show even pivots on that. One ongoing joke even pivots on this idea that you can take anything and, and make it sound bad. Right? You can take almost anything and make it sound bad and turn it, turn it. It's a good turn. That's what the word literally means. True joke. It's a, it's a good turn. Turn it into something funny, something perverted, dirty. You can take almost anything and do that. Uh, and notice, he says what? This is not fitting with God's holy people. As people, these six things, it doesn't fit anymore. You're one of God's holy people. It doesn't fit. It's interesting that he only offers one replacement item. So often Paul say, get rid of this and put on this. Get rid of this and put on this. Get rid of this and put on this. But in this case, he only put up one replacement, did he? What, what was the one thing he said to replace it with? Go ahead and look if you need to. Thanksgiving. So all of this things is this, out of place, and this shouldn't be here, and don't even name this amongst you, and, and don't have anything to do with this, and get rid of it. But instead... Thanksgiving. Now, there's an absolutely wonderful play on words here that Paul does that we would totally miss unless we were digging it. And I don't want you to miss it. I think it was. I just thought it was was. I thought it was awesome. Uh, the the crude joking. Oh, I'm sorry. There's the Thanksgiving. Uh, is the one replacement. The crude joking. Right. The crude joking is this Greek word. Okay. It's eutropelia. Okay. Do you see the EU? That's kind of like good. You get this. That's why the word meant good turn. Okay, it's eutropelia. Okay, that's the Greek word there. So Paul says none of this u- turning it bad, right? None of the, none of this turning it bad. Okay, the word that's translated Thanksgiving, the Greek word that's used there isn't always translated Thanksgiving. Sometimes it's translated uh, like giving of grace and things like that. But it's the Greek word eucharista. Now that sounds familiar. The Eucharist. Right? You ever heard that word before? Um, this is the Greek word Eucharist. And now notice how the, the similar sounding nature of these two words. Do you see that? Eutropilia. There shouldn't be Eutropilia. There should be Eucharista. Right? Can you see that? Here's the thing. As Christians, as a saint, we should not be the type of people that are characterized any longer by turning things evil turning things into a dirty way or pervert it. But we should be instead. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the issue, because sometimes we're like, yeah, I get that, and so we're just going to be quiet. But, but Paul says it should be the other direction. Not just not turning it this way, but doing what? Isn't Thanksgiving turning things back the other way? 
Uh, there's one pastor I love who will, who will say, uh, when anything you look at in life, you have to figure out, okay, can it be something that's uh, rejected or is it something that we can redeem? And I think with this issue that we're dealing with right now, this idea of holiness in your life is something that needs to be redeemed. And not just saying, uh, okay, I'm not going to turn it bad, but specifically with our mouth, turning things back in the right direction with thankfulness to God. Now, I hope that I don't make anybody uncomfortable with this next quote that I'm going to give you. I know that I might. So I apologize in advance if you're uncomfortable. I think that the reason why we might be uncomfortable with this whole issue, when we start talking about sex and sexual immorality and things like that, the reason why we feel uncomfortable is because it's not because we're not used to hearing it. Right? We hear about it all the time. I, I, I'm a, you know, even as a teacher, I go to school, I hear about it all the time. Kids are constantly bringing up something to do with that. You can't hardly watch a, a commercial with something sexual nature popping up. But we hear about it all the time, so you can't fool me into saying, oh, we just don't like to hear that stuff. Okay, because you, you hear it all the time. I, I don't believe it. I, I believe when you're out there, people are talking about it, and they're saying things about it, and they're turning it, and it's humorous, and it's funny quite often. And you're laughing along with everybody else. So, so you can't say that you're uncomfortable with it just simply because, oh, I just my ears are too precious to hear such things. So, no. And, and really, we're missing the point anyway, because who created sex? God did. He invented it. He came up with the idea. Right? He's the one who came up with this. Barnes, uh, in Barnes' notes in the New Testament, he puts it this way. In talking about this passage, see, it's not just this getting rid of, in this passage, no sexual morality, none of this. It's not just the negative side of it. We can't have this stuff, but there's a positive aspect to it in this thankfulness. And so he put it this way. He said, positively, the Christian is to give thanks for sex. We receive it thankfully as a gift. We enjoy sex in a way that glorifies the giver. He's the one that invented it. He goes on to say this, God's purpose in giving sex is not primarily for the gratification of the individual, but for the bonding together of husband and wife in a one flesh relationship. Certain expressions of sexuality are sin, not because God wants to deprive some aspect of enjoyment, but because they work against his primary purpose. Right? See, there's a primary purpose that God has. When he invented that, it was to picture this relationship in the marriage that ultimately, and we're going to get to in Ephesians, that ultimately this picture of husband and wife in this, this one flesh relationship is a picture of Jesus and his church and how much he loves it. And so these things were given to us as, as a bonding element in marriage to, to point to this one flesh relationship. And part of our problem as Christians is, is yeah, we're, oh, yeah, this, this immorality, but we're not turning back in thankfulness and gratefulness for what God has given and what its real purpose. We're missing out the entire purpose of what it's there for. And we're not using our speech and our language to point that direction. Okay? Even with the Puritans, the Puritans would often, we think about the you heard the word Puritans before? You think about them, stiff shirts or something, you know, and just oh no colors and they're just white shirts and black pants or I don't know you know and we oh yes the Puritans were pure people you start reading what the Puritans wrote they were passionate people see to strive for holiness isn't to to leave passion to the side it's to go for the real passion the real thing 
what's really there. And you will never be what God created you to be. Right? You will never be what God created you to be until you can learn to be holy, until you can learn to be what God has called you to be. You will never be who God created you to be until you learn to be who you are in Jesus Christ. Someone who is holy in all that you do. And these other things shouldn't even be named and listed among you. But instead, we are a holy people. You see, God is saving not just your soul. He wants to save the whole package. All of who you are. He, wants to, he starts the process right in the very center of who you are. And if you think about it, if you go all the way back to the garden... And, and God tells Adam and Eve, he says, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, if you sin, dying, you shall die. And what happened with Adam and Eve? Well, immediately when they sinned, there was immediate death, was there not? There was immediate death in their soul. They became eternally condemned at that moment when they sinned. Their spirits were immediately dead. Their souls were pending. There was a pending, eventual, eternal death that they were facing. And their bodies began to physically immediately begin to die gradually. Well, in salvation, we see a complete reversal of this. Okay, what happens? God saves your soul, right? He saves that spirit. You've been made alive in Christ, right? You were once dead in your trespasses and sin, but you've been made alive. Your spirit is now alive. What happens then? Is that it? Well, we just got to sit around and wait. I'm going to twiddle my thumbs until I die, and I get to go to heaven. No. Because just as Adam and Eve over here, when they sinned, their physical bodies began to die physically, when you become a Christian, you become a child of God, and that spirit becomes alive, God begins to save even your very body. Now that process will not be completed until you step into heaven, but you are to be with your body a holy person. Because He's saving the whole thing. He's saving you body, soul, and spirit. And some of us have become Gnostics. Well, I can't ever be holy, so I, why try? I'll just be pretty good. <laughs> God has called you to be a holy people, set apart for His purposes, living a righteous life, no impurity given in, no sexual morality whatsoever, no filthiness, no crude joking, no quick turns and this negative perverted way. That's got to be gone. That shouldn't be named among you. It's not fitting anymore. Why? Because you're a holy person. He's made you holy and He's made you righteous. And some of us are dropping the ball because we, we start seeing that picture, but we haven't turned it completely the other way around and grabbed a hold of this amazing good things that God has given us in this holiness. The holiness is actually not a loss of passion, but it's a finding of true passion. True fulfillment in this holiness that God offers. In our voices, and this is why I believe Paul specifically turns all these, all these things, not just turning them away, but the one way he replaces it is through something vocal, thanksgiving. Because many Christians, we, we may put off some of these things, but we don't put on this vocal attitude about the good thing that God has given us. And voicing it, and speaking about it, and praising God. And that's exactly what we need to do. We need to begin by praising Him, but also by living as if this body, as it says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. This, your body is a temple of God's Spirit. And let me put it this way. 
Well, let, me, let me read. I've got a couple more verses here. Let me read these and then I'll come back to this. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 says this. For you, for you may be sure of this, he says. So there's a, kind of a, a sober, I think the word is somber warning here packaged at the end of this. He says, for you may be sure of this, absolutely, no doubt, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance of the kingdom of Christ in God. There's no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Paul was not a Gnostic. He believed that the holiness that we're given, the spiritual holiness that, that God works in us, is fleshed out in your literal body. Holiness begins to come alive in your members. Then he says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Don't let anybody trick you with words that are empty. Well, God understands. We're all humans. He gets it. I'm I'm a good soul. Don't be tricked by empty words. What you do is who you really are. Right? That's what Paul's saying. What you do is who you really are. Gnosticism disconnects the the spirit from the body. The Bible connects these things together again and again and again. What you do is who you really are. Jesus said things like this. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Or he says in another place, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. See, again and again, Jesus said, every sin that you commit comes from the heart. What you're doing is connect with who you really are. And what you do is who you really are. And that can't be ignored. Ultimately, and Paul makes this point with the aspect of greed and covetousness, ultimately it's about idolatry. It's about a different God that you're serving when you live this way. I know that this is a challenging topic. I know that as I'm talking about it, I, I get this feeling, man, I could just come across so like, I mean, this, if I was like a hellfire brimstone preacher, this would be like, you know, just a wonderful passage to go to, wouldn't it? I could just see me up here. I could start pounding the pulpit or something. But, but what I don't want you to miss is that, that this, this phrase I keep giving you, and I, I keep saying it again and again because I don't want you to miss it. You're never going to be what God created you to be and who God created you to be until you learn to be who you are in Jesus, a holy person, a saint. That's what God has created you to be. That's what he's chosen you to be and called you to be. That's who he is. He's holy. And he wants you to be like that. And, and even though I could get up here and say, oh, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, if you miss the point, though, that as a chosen person of God, it doesn't, these things don't fit anymore. This shouldn't be in here. And, and, and most likely, if you still have those things going on in your life, or may, maybe you're not living out some sexual morality, but maybe there's stuff going on in your head. Maybe you're, I mean, honestly, as a man of God, driving down the street, looking at women or watching TV and seeing stuff that's wrong, getting on the internet. I know that some of you are like, oh, that's not an issue. But 
pornography, uh, anything that's like commercials. There's so many commercials you need as a man of God. This is just not who I am. I'm a saint. I'm I'm, I'm a child of God now. Turn in, turn in your words even. Right? Living out something in your head. I mean, that's what covetousness can be about. Maybe, maybe you wives, you look, my husband, he's a big dope, but man, he may be thinking about what it'd be like to be with this guy or this other person. It's just as wrong. Uh, on Amazon, Amazon.com, I always like to look at the free books for my Kindle. And they have a spirituality section. I'm always finding these great books. But if you just click on the, the free books, like the top... 100 bestsellers on Amazon, half of them are romance novels. Why? Because people are living out this greed. They want something that they don't have, or they're living out this sexual morality in their minds. And it just shouldn't be amongst God's people. Instead, there needs to be a thankfulness and a gratefulness. Now, I don't do this very often, but I'd like you to bow your heads for just a second. Close your eyes. Just, I just want you to take a minute. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to do that right now. But what I am going to do is this. I'm going to say this. I know, without a doubt, that there are people in this room that are saying, you know what? That's where I've been. I, I, I would call myself a Christian, but frankly, I'm more of a Gnostic. I, I look at my life and I say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I, I'm saved. I believe I am, but I, I don't think that I have to actually live this out to really be Holy. All the way. And to be holy like God's holy. No. In fact, maybe when even in talking about it, you go, I see that it says in the Bible, I just don't want to do that. this other stuff. Even maybe it's just the joking aspect. It's so fun. You're never going to be what God wants you to be and what He created you to be. You're never going to. You're missing out on the fullness of of what God has for you until you say, I want to be the person that God wants me to be. That person that's in Jesus Christ, a saint. That the all out, sold out for Him. And even though I could hellfire brimstone you to death today, I'm not going to do that. What I'm saying to you right now, as God's chosen people, you are missing out on the fullness of who God is. Until you get to a place in your life where you say, this isn't named among me. This isn't who I am anymore. I don't want anything to do with this. Instead, I'm going to turn in gratitude to God for all that he's given me in the person of Jesus Christ. And until you're ready to do that, you will miss out on the fullness of who you could, even on who you could be in Christ. The full potential of this recreated person, and you're going to miss it. See, I know, but I'm going to get to heaven one day, and then he's going to finish the job. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. You are the person that you are. What you do is the person that you really are. Don't let anybody trick you. It's because of these sins that God's wrath is coming. Don't be partakers with them, Paul says next. Don't be partakers with this. Don't be a part of it. He's called you to be holy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I do want to thank you, Lord, that what you've said in this passage is not, 
if you're not good enough, you won't go to heaven, Lord. That's not what you've told us. Lord, we know that our righteousness is ultimately in Jesus Christ. But Lord, I know that many of us are, we wouldn't have called ourselves this, Lord, but we're Gnostics. We think as long as we have the knowledge, we're fine. The body doesn't really matter that much. But Lord, your word connects those things together. That our body is demonstrating what's going on in our spirit. What we're doing in our bodies with our mouths and everything else is demonstrating what's actually going on in our spirits. And we can see what's going on in our spirit by looking at our body. So God, I pray that you'd help us today to repent. Lord, I believe there are some in here today that would that's, that's where they're at. They have to repent. Maybe they've not fully gotten to that place where they're, they're willing to say, you're the Lord, the King of my life, and I will do whatever you want me to do. Maybe they're not quite there yet. They believe that you exist. They believe that Jesus died on the cross, but they're not ready to say, God, I'm willing to be who you want me to be. Maybe they're not there yet. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to today get to that place and say, okay, Lord, I want to be exactly who you want me to be on this earth. I don't want to be my person. I want to be the person that you want me to be. Lord, I know there's others in this room that they want that. They want to be the person that you've created them to be, but sin has, has gotten its, its fingers into their life and it's got a good grip. Lord, help them to see that they will, they will always miss out until they're willing to say, Lord, I, I'm willing to do whatever you want. I want to be the person that you want me to be, that you created me to be. Until I become the person I am in Jesus, and I'm going to miss out. I pray that you be with those that still feel that trap and that snare of sin, Lord. I pray that this week would be a week that they're able to say, I'm just not going to let these things be named among me. I'm not going to let these things, this, this stuff just doesn't fit with me anymore. It's not, it's not proper, it's not fitting anymore, and so I'm just not going to have anything to do with it pray that you help all of us to turn in thankfulness. Not to just be silent on the issue, but to be thankful and grateful for what you have given us. And let our mouths speak in gratitude for the God that created all of these things. And Lord, finally I just want to say that as a church, God, I pray that we would be a, a church full of saints, of God's holy people. Lord, work in us this level of righteousness. Work that in us. So that as a group, as a whole, Lord, people would say, that's not named among that church. That's not, that doesn't fit with them. Lord, let us be a church that is full of thanksgiving and gratitude to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.